reach, the rest of us had slightly busier schedules. Bill ran the European branch of his family's venerable Boston law firm from an office overlooking the village green. Will and Rob attended Morningside School in the nearby market town of Upper Deeping, and I juggled the myriad roles of wife, mother, friend, neighbor, and community volunteer. Even so, none of us were as busy as Bess, whose learning curve made ours look pancake flat. Our cottage was two miles away from Finch, up a narrow, twisting lane lined with tall hedgerows. We shared our little lane with a handful of other families, but the vast majority of our neighbors lived in the village proper. Their homes and their small business establishments stood on either side of the village green, between St. George's Church and the ancient, hump-backed bridge that crossed the Little Deeping River. From an outsider's perspective, Finch was an insignificant speck of a village, a sleepy backwater in which nothing of note had ever happened. There were no blue plaques to mark the birthplaces of the great and the famous in Finch, because no one great or famous had been born there. Apart from its pastoral beauty and the medieval wall paintings in St. George's, Finch had very little to recommend it to the world beyond its borders. It was, and had always been, an ordinary place where ordinary people lived ordinary lives. Yet I found it extraordinary. Despite its sleepy appearance, Finch was, in fact, a buzzing hive of activity. The lengthy time gaps between baptisms, weddings, and funerals were filled with flower shows, sheepdog trials, church fates, jumble sales, art shows, harvest festivals, gymkhanas, and nativity plays. When my neighbors weren't organizing and participating in village-wide events, they ran businesses, tended gardens, pursued hobbies, bickered passionately over trifles, and savored the serenity of the surrounding countryside. Their favorite pastime, however, was the passionate pursuit of local gossip. The villagers paid no attention to so-called celebrity news and very little to world events, but they had an encyclopedic knowledge of one another. Weight gains and losses, new haircuts, altered clothing, and sudden mood swings were observed minutely and discussed endlessly wherever two or more villagers met. Sally Cook's tea room was a popular conversation spot, but so too were Peacock's Pub, the greengrocer's shop, the church, the bridge, the village green, the bench near the war memorial, the old schoolhouse that served as our village hall, Peggy Taxman's well-stocked general store, and every kitchen table in every cottage. Those craving anonymity would have found my neighbor's nosiness intolerably intrusive, but it gave me a strong sense of security. If privacy was all but unknown in Finch, so too was crime. The villagers could spot a suspicious stranger faster than a kestrel could spot a field mouse, and they were quick to alert others to the sighting. I knew that my children were safe in Finch because I knew how many eyes were trained on them. Bess was the belle of the ball in Finch, which was understandable, given that she was the only baby in a village populated primarily by retirees and middle-aged working folk. Though the villagers were quite fond of Will and Rob, there was something about an infant that turned even the most curmudgeonly of curmudgeons into a baby-talking pile of mush. Bess's most devoted fan, however, was Bill's father. William Arthur Willis Sr. was a courtly, old-fashioned gentleman who'd made our lives complete when he'd retired from the family law firm and moved to England 
to fulfill his role as his grandchildren's only surviving grandparent. Willis Sr.'s patrician good looks, impeccable manners, and hefty bank account had made him the most eligible widower in Finch until he'd made his own life complete and broken many a heart by marrying the well-known watercolorist Amelia Thistle. Willis Sr. was utterly besotted with Bess, and Amelia had filled several sketchbooks with pencil drawings that captured Bess's essence in a way that made photography seem obsolete. Happily for all concerned, Willis Sr. and Amelia lived up the lane from us, in Fairworth House, a graceful Georgian mansion surrounded by a modest estate. The wrought iron gates guarding the entrance to my father-in-law's estate were a short stroll away from the humpbacked bridge. The gates were a bit farther away from our cottage, but Bess and I were hearty souls, and we enjoyed the walk almost as much as we enjoyed spending time with Grandpa and Grandma. We'd visited Fairworth House daily since the new-